For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Yo, welcome in to the House of L podcast. I'm the L of House of L. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thanks for hanging out with me on the podcast today. And thanks for your support of the podcast all the time. No guests this week. There's just me. Don't be disappointed that it's just me. I'm going to actually just move in to the, onto the couch to get comfortable and talk about Some of this stuff. For those of you who checked out the episode with Maddie from last week, I really appreciate it. I thought it was really good and it's gotten a lot of good feedback. I do feel bad for Maddie. And I told him this, that with everything that's gone on in the last eight days, that I feel bad that his story got lost because I wanted to, to amplify his story and let him share some things that was on his mind about everything. So if you haven't gotten a chance at some point, bookmark it, go back and listen to that episode. Cause I think it's really, really good. I wanted to talk about this week cause it's been a hard week and I turned 45 as of this recording And I was really looking forward to my 45th birthday, as strange as that may sound. Um, Not for any reason. Like, I don't feel like it's a milestone. I just was looking forward to it. It was one of those things where because of where we're at with the Rona, that it was one of those flashpoint moments that I was looking forward to. Maggie Hendricks and I share a birthday, so we talked about whether we'd be the city and the country would be in a position where we could go celebrate. Now, technically we are like, we, we actually could go hang out together and sit outside and she could come over to the house, like all of that stuff, which is good. But this week has just been really hard. And I appreciate everyone who listened to what I had to say on Monday. I was, filled with a lot of rage that I was able to channel. And what usually happens with me is that when I'm angry, I work through the anger and then I get to a place of being sad. And then I get to a place of being hopeful. And then I get into a mode of acting. That's usually what happens with me. And it's what happened on Monday and a lot of great things happened on Monday, which I'm not going to forget that. I'm not going to forget all the people that reached out, which was extremely important to me. I don't, I don't know if white allies understand how important that is when you reach out to people of color, 
I imagine it's the same way that our friends in the LGBTQA community feel when someone who's not in that community reaches out, says, hey, I don't have all the answers. I just want you to know that I'm here for you. And that's how I felt. People have reached out. They've gotten involved. From last Sunday night, I remember Jason hit me up and he goes, I'm going to do an open Zoom. And he didn't know what to expect on that open Zoom. And we sat in there with 70 people who are fans of the show. And he just laid his heart bare over three hours. Jason like laid his heart bare. It was really awesome. I wish he would have recorded it, honestly, because it was that great. And the outpouring of understanding, I thought, was the most important thing that came out of it. People just being willing to listen and, in some case, ask some questions. But I know that by the end of that, like, not only was I, I sad, I was, it's so strange because you got so many emotions going on, like, Super proud of Jason. Happy to see people take an interest in our lives outside of the things that usually go along with, well, this person has a radio show. Like taking interest outside of me loving donuts and Jason dressing cool. You know what I mean? It was fun to see people engage and try to understand my friends that donated that didn't have didn't have a wanted to do something they just couldn't figure out what and like well where should i donate and being able to donate to caesars shout out to them because they really came through for our kids and let me just say i talked about this on the air i'll i'll say it here too i don't have kids and I wouldn't necessarily say I regret that, but it's it's a truth. I don't have children. I have my nieces and my nephews, and they're great, and I, I love interacting with them because they're hilarious. But I, I feel a kinship to children in Chicago because I was one of those children. Now, I I came from a family that we did all right. Like, my parents were both teachers, so there was always money. Like, we, we weren't poor. We weren't rich either, but we had enough. But I'm still a, a kid that grew up near 111th and Halstead. I remember what that was like. I remember being a kid that went to school on 95th Street. And so I have a kinship with kids, particularly black kids on the south and west side of Chicago. And I felt that they were easily just cut off from services that they shouldn't be cut off from. And the fact that there were places like Apostolic Church, the Pilsen Food Bank, Caesars Restaurant, Urban Grill, like a bunch of other places that said we won't let our kids go hungry. That was that was a thing. Um, shout out to Sarah Carp, 
who is an education reporter. She's pretty terrific. And her coverage spurred me on to talk more about that on the air. And seeing people willing to lift a hand was really, really cool. It's been a hard week. And honestly, the last three months have been really hard on all of us. Us dealing with the weight of having not see our friends and family to worried about your loved ones, in some cases lose our loved ones because of COVID-19, to try and figure out where that puts all of us. Like it, There's a, a heightened level of stress on every single one of the people that's listening to this podcast and beyond. In some ways, it was a perfect storm for there to be unrest because in the case of George Floyd we're being forced to watch it and because we don't have the normal distractions that we ordinarily have we were forced to confront it maybe not forced to watch it because I I understand anyone who doesn't want to watch it I mean Why would you want to watch someone die at the hand of power? I go back and forth on it. I heard Bomani Jones talking about it this week that he's kind of put a ban on himself of watching these videos and these still pictures of black death. And I'm, I, I get where he's coming from. I feel like if I'm going to talk about it, I need to journalistically, there's a part of me that feels like I need to see what happened so I can speak on it. But I, I completely get not wanting to relive that trauma. And I struggle with that because when you see it in your timeline, people are trying to bring awareness to it. But I don't even know if they realize that with the way that Twitter works, there are some people that can't escape it unless they are off the app or decide that they're not going to be in their feed. And those are hard things for for people to to digest and try to figure out how they feel about it. So I get anyone who feels that way. Over the last week, we've seen a lot of good. And in some cases, I've seen it in places where I never suspected Seeing the people of the western suburbs of Chicago like buck up with places like Naperville and Wheaton where you're talking about populations that are predominantly white. That's cool to me to see people on the north side, to see people being willing to to put themselves in jeopardy. And that's what I want to get to in a second. It's appreciated. Never think that it's not appreciated. That doesn't mean that you get some sort of pass. It doesn't mean that you get invited to the cookout. By the way, this is the cookout. So, I mean, you got your invitation. This is it. But it does mean that your your sacrifice and your, your help won't go unnoticed. And I can tell you the place where it hasn't gone unnoticed. 
And that is with these police departments and governments. They've noticed it. It's what I wanted to spend a little bit of time. And I don't want to talk myself into an awful place. But I just want to say that one of the things that both makes me encouraged and infuriated at the same time is the equality of brutality. Like if I was going to write a book, the, the book would probably be called that. What we're seeing in the streets of America right now is the equality of brutality. The good thing about this awful thing is that it will allow more people to open their eyes and say, this is bullshit. But it shouldn't have to come to that. It shouldn't have to come to my white brothers and sisters, citizens, taxpaying, hardworking citizens. It shouldn't come to them being beaten in the streets for everyone to realize that black folks are being beaten in the streets by the police. Having that backup is nice. Like having, having real life examples of lines that are being crossed. Like I was thinking about the bill of rights over the last couple of days. And by my count, There have been violations of Amendment 1, Amendment 5, Amendment 6, Amendment 8, and Amendment 10. That's what we're fighting about now. Like, we're we're now in a place where we can start talking about whether or not our republic works. And when it comes to the founders of the United States, these brilliant men who were mostly slave owners... I don't know that even in the brilliance of Thomas Jefferson, who was a notorious slave owner, if he could see so far into the future that he could see a form of government that would work for 350 million people. I don't know if he if he could envision that, if any of the founders could have envisioned that. But we seem really, it seems really easy for us to when we talk about the idea of the things that are important to us, when there's a violation of it, we should be in the streets. Like we should, we should be fighting back. And I don't mean physically, although if you look at the history of the United States, there are not many big picture items in America that haven't been changed through violence. Think about it. The war for independence, the thing that started our country, has a violent history to it. The the putting together or the keep maintaining, maintaining the republic, violence with the Civil War, voting rights, violence, women's voting rights, violence, the right of the worker, Violence, gay rights, violence, set the whole thing off. The civil rights movement, violence. 
There are tons of examples of that littered throughout the history of the United States. I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying that people who will simplify it and say that that never solves anything. There's there's evidence to the contrary. I don't want to see anyone get hurt. And that's the that's the thing. I don't want I don't want people to feel like they have to make a choice between what is right and their own safety. The truth is is that these police forces have too much power. Period. Now, if that means that you want to go all the way, I'm I'm someone who does think that that police forces need to be defunded, but I say that to me that's a general thing and what I mean by that is these contracts between cities, municipalities, states need to be reworked. They definitely need to be demilitarized. And I would point to the lack of violence in places where police officers were not in riot gear as evidence to that. I kept to bring it, not that you came here today for sports, but I kept thinking about football and the helmet as a weapon in football if these officers were not wearing stormtrooper combat gear that we've seen them in would they be more likely to find other solutions than the jackbooting of citizens throughout the streets Would they be in a better position to de-escalate situations knowing that they don't literally have armor to protect them? It's, It's one of the very few things that I will give Mayor Lightfoot credit for is at least over the last few days, there being less riot gear for police officers. Our police officers don't need assault rifles they don't they don't need all of that gear we don't need to see these militias that are now being just bringing in people off the street but what you've seen in police departments across the United States is officers lashing out at the people instead of trying to understand how they could do their job better. No one wants to take their livelihood away without there being conversations about change. What I've said and what I'll continue to say is we cannot have police forces filled with people with bad intentions. We can't have police forces that are filled with people who are, are just looking for a fight. And over and over again, whether we're talking about it in Chicago, in D.C., in New York City, in Seattle, in St. Louis, in Dallas, in New Orleans, wherever it is, we are seeing in, in Buffalo, New York, we are seeing those officers go on the offensive. 
and cities, municipalities, states are scared of their police forces. And that cannot be the way that this works. They're there to serve and protect the people. They are not there to lead and guide the people. And so that's one of the reasons why I I feel like Mayor Lightfoot needs to be held to a very high standard because of the promises that she made. And I will tell you, if you're wondering why I'm so mad and why my criticism is pointed at Mayor Lightfoot, it's because when she came to Hyde Park, I had a conversation with her one-on-one in this, on 53rd Street. And she talked about why she wanted my support and why she needed my vote. And what we talked about was police reform. That was one of the major appeals of her platform. And what was disturbing to me last week was seeing her use the tactics of her predecessors to cut off the south and west side of the city, to cut off downtown where people were peacefully protesting for the most part. And it it was a major disappointment. And I think that when we have people that say that they're coming in to reform and then they don't reform, and then there are things that reform would have helped. And I get that she hasn't been in office that long. But you have to, you made some promises. And I know that I'm not the first citizen that sees a politician not fulfill their promise. But we can't just stand here and allow ourselves to be blinded by the history of having the first black woman, the first LGBTQA mayor. You still have to do your job. You still, in us celebrating you, It's celebrating you with the idea that you are going to make change. So she needs to be held to that. Don't forget that she said a week ago that there's going to be reform in 90 days. Well, I better see it in 90 days because I will tell you, I will do whatever it takes. If we don't see significant reform, and I know that the mayoral election is a long ways away, I will do whatever is in my power to make sure that she is not mayor. Because there's already been too much where she is giving back. And can, just for a second, can I talk about the economic side of this? I'm trying to appeal to as many people as I can, whether we're talking about the rights of the people, we're talking about the, the incidents of violence that are disgusting, but let's talk about the economic issue of it. Go and look how much money the city of Chicago is had to pay out over the last decade because of wrongful action by police. We're talking close to a billion dollars. They lose in court. Even if we don't see people convicted, the city loses those civil lawsuits because the evidence is plain as day. And the burden of proof isn't as high in those civil lawsuits. 
we are hemorrhaging money as a city because our police force continues to abuse citizens. Now think about all the times that you've heard the mayor of Chicago, be it Lori Lightfoot or Rahm Emanuel or Richard Daly, talk about how much money the city doesn't have. Part of the reason that this city runs at a deficit is because the city is paying out wrongful death suits, abuse suits, bad policing suits, and those things need to be corrected because they're morally wrong and they're fiscally irresponsible. It's easier to take $90 million and reform policing in Chicago versus paying out $600 million because your cops don't understand how to engage with citizens and they don't know when to stop. Just you wait. With the police chase that happened last week that ended up killing a citizen, an innocent citizen who was just trying to drive home. Just you wait until that civil lawsuit happens. We're going to owe a lot of money yet again as a city. So now they're hopefully going to change their pursuit rules. And I don't want criminal like that guy that, that they were chasing I don't want that guy to get away. He's accused of murder. I don't want him to get away. But I can tell you, I live on a street where a few times a day, I see officers. There's a stretch on the the nearest big intersection for me. There's a stretch where there's about a quarter mile between lights. And I see those guys... And the streets are narrow. I see those guys doing 80, 90 down residential streets. And it's just a matter of time before there's a kid who's walking across the street or a jogger or someone on their bike. Like all of this stuff, all of it, like they need to be retrained. So before I get going, I let me just tell you how I feel about this as far as training goes. I've talked about it a little bit on the air. I one, I think police officers need raises. I'll explain how we get to that point. I think that they deserve raises because it's a dangerous job. It takes a lot out of you. But I only want the best of the best. I want better policing overall, and I want it to be looked at as a job to aspire to, that it's not just for some thrill seeker who wants a gun and a badge. It is for someone who understands being involved in the community. I want police officers to get mental health, and I want it to be mandatory for them. I want them to have more time off. 
because of how hard the job is. The flip side of that is I want them trained in de-escalation. And I want any officer who isn't taking to that training, gone. Any one of them that bucks back, I want them out. Because those are not the people that we want walking our streets. I want them taken care of. I want the so-called good cop taken care of. But I also want in return for them to show us how good they actually are. And that means stopping someone from killing a suspect. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about these civil rights violations that are going on. You're not the judge, jury, and executioner. You're not. Just go look it up. Amendments 1, 5, 6, 8, and 10 are being violated on the regular. You look at what happened in Buffalo where they pushed that 75-year-old man down. And I've been looking at the video and a lot of people are like, well, the one officer stopped the other officer from tending to the old man. I'm not sure that's what happened. I think it might be a, I think you might have it reversed. I think that if we're going to use the good cop narrative, I think it might have been an officer stopping that other officer from hitting him again. Because if you look at the way that he lunges towards the body, he lunges with both hands on his nightstick. I think that the cop that we think is bad might be a better cop because he was like, stop. Although none of them were good because it took a member of the National Guard to actually tend to the 75-year-old man. That's what I mean about the equality of brutality. You are seeing journalists who are clearly marked as journalists being fired upon you are seeing women being fired upon. You're seeing white women fired upon. That's where we're at. Police departments are so, they feel it's so necessary to hold on to their power that now those red lines that we used to have in our society no longer exist. So everyone's in the boat now. That's why I think that you've seen these demonstrations continue. Because at first it was, man, I can't believe what they're doing to our black brothers and sisters. And now it's like, you motherfuckers are shooting us too? Something has to change. I know that we'll never get this number down to zero. 
But we need to try. We need to try when it comes to police brutality and deaths at the hands of the police in non-life-threatening situations. I think a lot of us have are fed up. I know I'm fed up. I am happy that one of the byproducts of, of all of this has been more people being vocal about some of these situations. There's a lot of truth-telling that's going on. And I think that that some of the reform will happen in a lot of different places. I mean, I just I just found out that one of the people I interviewed over the last month might be a stark raving racist. The defensive coordinator at Utah, Morgan Scally, who I had a great conversation with. And now you find out that he may be a stark raving racist. The Iowa football program, they're going through some stuff right now. Florida State, they're searching. I think everyone now is getting to the point where they are trying to access their rights. And that's a good thing. And I think that some of the the ways that leadership has gone in sports in particular, but in our country overall, is going to change. You just can't bully your way through all of this stuff. So look, I'm going to leave it there. I appreciate you all listening. I know this is not what we usually do on House of L, and I promise you next week, um, I, I can promise you next week that next week's episode is going to be phenomenal and different from what we usually do um, because next week I'm going to interview my dad for Father's Day. And the interview's already done. I already talked with my pop. And I think that you'll you'll enjoy it. I don't need you to agree with everything that I say. I have some very strong beliefs that are sometimes uncomfortable for people. And I try to package them in a way that hopefully we can agree on some things. And that's what the dialogue is about. But I'm, I am happy that more people feel free to say some of these things. I'm happy that I was telling Tony Gill, because you look at the job that that Jason Goff is doing for the city. Like I kind of feel like Green Arrow. He actually he he has not failed the city. He is out here doing stuff for the city. And I said to Tony, I said he's our Kaepernick because he was talking about this stuff, and he wasn't even talking about this stuff. More than other hosts were. were. He wasn't talking about it more than I was. He wasn't talking about it more than Bernstein or uh, Mully and Hanley at the time. He wasn't. And we saw him get singled out. Luckily, we've had a change in leadership above Mitch Rosen. Because I know people think it was Mitch and it wasn't. It was Jimmy DeCastro. 
And with Jimmy gone, there have been other people who have allowed for us to have more real discussions and aren't as worried about losing the remnants of our leadership, our listenership. They aren't, they aren't worried about losing men 25 to 54. That might just be a sign of the times or the personalities of the people who are in charge. But trust me, it's not, it's not lost on me that you're seeing shows all throughout our day be able to talk about these things now more openly. And that's good. And that's the, the fucked up part is Jason was sacrificed for it. He's flourished, but he still shouldn't have been through that trauma, had to go through that trauma. And being there with him for a big chunk of that, it hurts him that he's not on the score. He's got nothing to prove. He's one of the best broadcasters in the country. But he was up here telling you truths. And there were people who celebrated when he left the station. And now you see that he was telling you truths. And you're seeking out a guy like that to continue telling you the truth. Meanwhile, he's out here like fucking Superman. Just going from place to place, cleaning up, helping out on the south side, which is great. He's always been a great example and will continue to be a great example. I appreciate you listening to this episode of the podcast. I did not intend for it to be this long. Keep fighting the good fight. Call shit out. When you see it, call it out. Help people out. Support people. Ask for help too. Ask. Ask. It's it's okay. I struggle with that. I I'm a. I'm like that. I don't ask for a lot of help. But I've been really encouraged by how many people have just just to check on me. I'll tell you. I'll try to tell you the craziest shit. I'll tell you the craziest thing that happened where I burst into tears when I got this text message. Cause it's one of those things where you're not expecting that text message to come at all. Over the last year, I've been doing a show with Dave Wanstead. And I know how there, there are a lot of people who feel a certain sort of way about Dave Wanstead. I feel like we've built this, on-air relationship that's got some real good elements of trust to it. I feel the same way about my guys on the football after show too, where I tell them all the time that I'm not going to let us fail and I'm never going to make you guys look bad. And I feel the same way about coach. To get a text message from him last week, unsolicited, where he was like, hey, you're my friend, you're hurting, I'm here for you. And I don't need him to do anything else. I don't need him, if he would like to go pick up some 
some places that were some trash out of, in front of places that were looted or invest in the south and west side. I'm here for it. But I didn't need him to do anything else. The fact that he was one of the first people to hit me up. And I imagine that he probably did that for other people too. I joke about having a hope bucket. I'm someone who has, my hope bucket is easily filled. And it was in those kind of down moments where I needed someone to help fill my hope bucket. And and Dave Wanstead was there to do that for me. Along with others, other people. I don't want to I don't want to keep naming people. I just wanted you to understand. Dave and I, he is outside of us doing the show together, we couldn't come from more different backgrounds. There's an age gap between us. But that's someone he could have been ch- just chilling on his boat in Florida and not even thought about it. I wouldn't have thought less of him for not hitting me up, but I think so much more of him because he did. And that's the type of allies that we need. People that you can count on and and they, even if they don't understand your pain, they understand that you're in pain. So shout out to, to Coach for that. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. Thanks so much for allowing me to have space where I could talk about whatever I wanted, however I wanted, and unfortunately, however long I wanted to talk about these things. Keep fighting. Keep, if we believe in the concepts of the Republic, then we believe that we have rights. Do not let your rights be infringed upon. Thanks for listening.